You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs, as well as another very special guest this week. We have Caleb Durward on to talk about Cube. Caleb, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. It's going wonderful. We are super excited to have Caleb on for Cube. We've been trying to sync this up for, for months now, getting him on to talk about Cube to overlap with Cube on. And we've got the summers here. Powered Vintage Cube is here. And I know Caleb has been jamming the format a ton. So we're really excited to pick his brain, not only with our questions, but some questions from our patrons. But before we get into that, for any of our listeners who perhaps don't spend all of their time on Twitch like me and Ben do, and people who don't perhaps know the quality of the content you produce. Caleb, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your history with Magic and your amazing channel on Twitch. Uh, sure. I started Magic Grinding back in like uh, 2010, and it was mostly just to like, you know, eat. <laughs> um, I, I ended up in Chicago somehow with like very few skills, very few marketable skills. Um, I had an English degree <laughs> right around when the uh, the magazine industry crashed. And so okay. I was looking for an entry-level entry editing job when there were a lot of people with like 20 plus years of experience that were just like willing to do anything. So I started playing more and more Magic and started sending out fewer and fewer applications. And that just it just kind of like became my thing. Uh, spiked a few tournaments, started making a name for myself and drifted in more and more into content because content certainly pays better than like grinding the Star City circuit or whatever. And then uh, recently, within the last couple of years... I had a little bit of a buffer and I could take the dive in streaming full time on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Caleb D M D G. If uh if you're not familiar. Anyway, so that's been working out really well for me. You did a, a 365 day challenge, is that right? I did. I've done that. I did a few a few or nine uh, 24 hour streams. I've done yeah, stuff like that. Random little events. And are you primarily a limited streamer or are you just primarily a any kind of magic streamer any kind of magic any kind of magic whatsoever uh whatever i think i will enjoy playing and my viewers will enjoy watching so i try and stay away from obscure formats like popper because mm. there's not going to be as many people willing to watch that i would rather get like everybody's second or third favorite choice than like a few people's first favorite choice if that makes sense the most popular formats to stream have, for me have been Modern and Cube. And then after that, new limited sets or other constructed formats after those. Nice. Yeah, I mean, you're, and you're on most nights, right? You're, you're streaming most days of the week. It's your full-time job. That's correct. I usually go live around 6 or 7 p.m. till around 2 in the a.m. Central Time. It is my full-time job, so I put in like around 40-ish, 45 hours a week. Some weeks I take, uh, I try and try and make myself like take a day off a week. But like this weekend, I'm going to be going to an RPTQ up in the Twin Cities. So I'm not going to take my, my regular day off because I'm going to be going and playing Magic the Gathering. Yeah. <laughs> Vacation to play Magic from Magic Work. Yeah. Paper Magic. What's that? Right. Not something we do. Uh, we should check in on the trophy leaderboard here on the tr trophy hype because caleb are you what are you in second place in vintage cube trophies uh second or third or some i don't know some garbage <laughs> um i've got i think i've got like 17 trophies in the vintage cube i started really strong i started really, really strong but i've had like a rough past couple of days i've dropped down to a, a 73 percent win rate total with like 118 match wins and 43 losses that's insane 
Yeah, that is insane. So you do keep pretty... Do you keep track of your stats for any format you play or just for cube? No, I just noticed that you guys keep track of your stats, and so I just counted. Oh, <laughs> wow. holy cow. That's some dedication right there. Dropped. I love that phrase, dropped down to a 73% win rate. That is... Uh... That's pretty good. How are you doing, Ben? If we go to Dominaria, I'm the same as I was. I haven't played any Dominaria. So 73 Dominaria drafts, 21 trophies, 140 and 73 for a 65.7% win rate. And Vintage Cube, I've got 10 drafts, 3 trophies, 20 and 10 record, clean 66% win rate. I'm just still drafting Dominaria. I love that format. 208 drafts, dipping into competitive queues, 62 trophies, 397 to 188, 68% win rate. And Vintage Cube, I've done a couple more. Got seven drafts under my belt, only one trophy, nine and six for a 57% win rate. So Vintage Cube is it's tough. We talked about last week of like balancing having fun and winning. And I feel like I'm not good at overlapping those kinds of decks <laughs> in this iteration of Vintage Cube. Like I trophied <laughs> with like mono white, which was not fun to draft or to play, but but it won. So, uh, but I'm interested to, to talk to Caleb about that because it seems that he's able to do both pretty successfully. Before we get into all that, we got a lot of cube to talk about, but we got to talk about the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can give back to the show if you would like to. Uh, we really appreciate the support and we try to give you guys something back. And the base level, $1 per episode, you get access to the Lords of Limited Discord channel. This is the place to be. We are talking all things M19 spoilers. The full spoiler just dropped today. We got people talking about that obnoxious hexproof creature. <laughs> That's five, the 5-3 for 2 green green. We're really looking forward to playing with that. We got people talking about combos already. Still looking at cube deck lists, at Dominaria deck lists. Just a lot of really awesome limited minds coming together, get access to our show notes or to a little pre-show recording to see how the show is made for some higher tier donations. And we want to shout out every new patron the week that they decide to become a patron. So we want to welcome Adam, Matt, and Travis this week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Your support means so much to us. Heck yeah. Uh, and every once in a while, when we have guests on like this, uh, we have even more perks. So a little bit later in the episode, we're going to have questions from our patrons that they submitted in the Discord. Yeah, it's going to be great. Okay, so we'll start, we'll get to those questions in a bit, but we're going to start big picture here, and then we'll maybe look at a round table and get some some practical applications of, of picking cards for cube. But as someone who I, I consider a pretty big master in cube, certainly in, in, in the realm of Twitch, but probably that means just in magic in general. So I want to talk about like your introductions into cube and maybe some level up moments for you like how you transitioned from drafting normal sets and into getting into cube because i feel like everyone has like that that for at least for me that first cube draft where you just like draft a bunch of four drop good cards and then you get trounced and then you have to sort of figure out like oh that's not how this format works so i wonder if you can speak to like your sort of early days of cubing i don't know if i had a level up moment quite like that um i think even when I was like first starting, I was still building like reasonable curves and stuff. Mm -hmm. The first first cubes I ever played were in paper, and they were back when people would money draft uh, on day twos of grand prix and whatnot. And it was just like another way of doing that, a little bit another way of like maybe salvaging part of a weekend if you like busted the actual event itself. You could grind some, win some drafts, get some money back, pay for your dinner that night, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I, I guess I just did it a lot. You just did it a lot. And I mean, it seems like you certainly have like a natural affinity for it. So maybe that led to you not stumbling so much in the early parts. It's just deck building. It's just deck building. And like, if you've been building decks for like years and years and years, you're going to remember like you're going to see these like threads of old archetypes and you're going to see like new potentials for, for old cards and stuff. And 
cube cube is just a matter of like giving yourself a bunch of different potentials a, di- a bunch of different ways that your your deck can go and then uh taking advantage of them finding a finding a payoff some place to slot your deck into at a certain point if you get the right cards and so there's tons of different types of cubes right right now we're on the vintage cube but there's modern cube there's legacy cube powered unpowered uh you know some people have uncommon cubes common cubes does your approach change depending on the different types of cube like when you sit down to do vintage cube is it different than when you're sitting down to do modern cube absolutely 100 percent. vintage cube is all about fast mana so specific archetypes matter a little bit less than uh than typical usually what you're trying to do is take advantage of your fast mana before the opponent can take advantage of theirs so cards like rakdos's return and mind twist are usually pretty good but they're even a little bit better here and win conditions that end the game very quickly like the the five mana nissa that makes four four tramplers usually not a card that you would prioritize super highly in cube usually it's just like kind of a like a normal planeswalker but i actually like it more than uh pretty much any of the other green planeswalkers in this one because it just kills people so fast so you're going mana crypt signet and you're playing this thing on like turn three making four four and smacking them and then they're like almost dead very quickly anyway stuff like that dragons i usually like like thunder my hulk height and the like but uh they're still good here win conditions to just end the game quickly and so does that lead you those sort of cards do you like does that lead you to play proactive decks reactive decks do you prefer one or the other in the vintage cube like trying to answer what busted stuff people are doing or trying to do your own busted stuff you can certainly play reactive decks um you're gonna get a twitch chat that's complaining that your deck is too fair but uh you can certainly play them <laughs> as as with like any cube or like place in magic uh if you're not doing anything proactive you just need to make sure you have enough disruption to like upset what the opponent is doing and uh sometimes in that case it can actually it can actually like work out really well so like if you if you end up playing a deck that's just like a pile of duress effects and counter spells and you don't actually have all those signets, you don't actually have all that fast mana and your opponent does and they they spend it's it's kind of like you're playing against a ramp deck with a control deck, right? Where they're spending cards and resources on accelerating their mana and then if you just counter spell what they're ramping into, it's almost like you got card advantage because they played all those like signets and stuff to get up to that point and now they just have all this extra mana rotting in play while you have actual cards going on. Yeah, I feel like a lot of vintage cube decks come down to like, I'm trying to resolve Tinker, I'm trying to resolve Bribery, or like these like single powerful things, and that those hand disruption or counterspell things can be pretty backbreaking in that sense. Yeah, they're really good. So I want to talk a little bit maybe about like, then is that also how you're drafting like normal limited sets? Are you just thinking of it? Is it all just deck building? Because I think of cube and most, I don't know, yeah, like regular limited sets as pretty different draft environments in terms of how I approach them. But is that not not the case for you? Yeah, well, the I, I, I mean, I, I agree. Cube's not really the same thing as a normal limited format. It, it is deck building. You're trying to in, in in a normal limited format, like a pick order makes more sense. Like picking uh-huh. picking the most powerful card out of every pack makes sense. In cube, all of the cards have a relatively flat power level. These are all like the best cards in Magic. So saying what's the best card in this pack or whatever makes a little bit less sense. And uh, and instead thinking like what sort of deck do I feel like playing right now? What kind of deck do, am I going to build? What 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 uh, what sort of archetype is open for me to move into? You can have someone drafting the same colors two seats in a row to your right, but if they're not drafting the same archetype as you. Like, say you're drafting um, uh, like a blue-black control deck and you've got two people fighting over like green ramp to the right of you. It doesn't matter. You don't need the mana dorks. You're just drafting those like sweet Vraskas and abrupt decays and stuff. You're still getting the cards that you need quite late, even though there's people drafting your colors right next to you. So archetypes matter a little bit more 
and yeah, you're more trying to draft a deck than draft good cards. So do you have any, I, I've sort of, you know, you just said whatever you sort of feel like drafting at the moment. I feel like I'm sort of struggling like that uh, with that in Vintage Cube right now that I've done it so much and I've played it all so much. And I'm certain I've played just a fraction of the Vintage Cube that you have. Do you ever feel like when you sit down to draft, it's hard to find a direction because you've done it all before? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching Caleb the other night. I think it was like after one of your heaters and you just like opened a pack and there were a lot of choices and you were just like, ah, I haven't played with fast bond yet and just like snapped that up. And I feel like that seems to be, I like that idea of like, what do I feel like drafting? I feel like the spike in me wants to like go into cube and be like, all right, what's the best thing to do in the cube? And like, how do I put myself in that seat or like figure out what's quote unquote open, but that's a lot harder in cube and cube is so much more about preferences than it is about pick orders as you said oh yeah so do you have any pet archetypes that you really like to draft there's i've got pet cards i draft i draft cards i draft like ojitai more than some people just because it's such a satisfying card to hit someone with <laughs> you take a time walk and it, um when you win when you've got an ojitai in play and you just feel like a god you're just like oh i get to hit you again get more cards this is great stuff like that uh, i like ganti more than most people ganti is another fun one that card is ridiculous. I also feel like Hostage Taker seems so busted in Vintage Cube to me. Just like stealing mocks for free. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, I really like those value engines. So do you, when you interact with uh, with Twitch chat while streaming Cube, which is such a preference format, do you feel like there are things that you have to like, things that come up a lot, like things that people often think are true that you disagree with or like cards that you feel like are super underrated by the masses, that sort of thing? Uh, I mentioned earlier the, uh, the the fairness debate or whatnot. I think people tend to overvalue unfairness a little bit in Vintage Cube. Not that being unfair is, is a bad thing or whatever, but I already explained a little bit how, how you can make a, like disruption-type decks work as well. Mm -hmm. Can I work in one of your patron questions to this answer? For sure. Okay, StunlockFTW asked what, uh, what some cube trap cards were. And that's the most common thing that I think I the, the the most common question or like disgruntled viewer that I sort of get when someone's like, <laughs> oh, this drafter is garbage. He's not even respecting like brainstorm or fast bond or something like uh, cards that in constructed need to are, need to be built around. People don't have much of an appreciation for. So like Deathrite Shaman is a card that needs a decent like a like a critical mass of fetches to be good. You don't want to just like play this one mana one two that can just like drain instants and sorceries for two or whatnot. I mean, maybe you do, but you probably don't want it in your ramp deck. Right. And people just see that card and they think of all the times they've played it in Legacy. They think of how it's dominated these constructed formats where you can just add 12 fetches. Um, and they see Brainstorm in the same way. You know, they don't think about how many shuffle effects they have in their cube deck. They think about all of how busted Brainstorm has been for them in decks that they've net decked on uh, in, in, in Legacy or something. And so they actually haven't like put in the time um, thinking about when a card is good or not. And so then when they see a card that's, uh, that's uh, historically broken, they don't really think about whether it's actually good here. So, so some cards like Necropotence, uh, Fast Bond brainstorm deathrite shaman those are all cards that get like horrendously overvalued by by people who aren't super familiar with deck building those are also cards that are much better when you have four of them not only when you can build around them but when you have four in cube when it's singleton and you just have one like that also i think decreases the value of it because you're not guaranteed to see it and you're not guaranteed to see it when you want to see it so when we just had like a new iteration of cube come out, there was that uncommon cube on Magic Online that was out for a week, which had never been on Magic Online. And I know you played that a bunch. 
when a new cube like that comes out, how do you approach it? Do you look at the cube list? Do you try and see like what archetypes and combos are available? Or do you just sort of like say, I'm going to just draft it and I trust my abilities to figure out what this this cube is trying to do? Oh, I usually just draft it. And sometimes that works out better than other times. The common, <laughs> the uncommon cube actually like kicked my tuckus for a little bit. It was a rough ride learning that one. But I did. I started trophying eventually. What was sort of the the learning curve there for you, did you feel like? Um, I don't know, actually. Maybe I think it was just raw familiarity. I'd played a pop I'd played um peasant cubes before, like combinations of common uncommon cubes, but they were they were constructed differently. They had like Karoo lands and stuff, and like the the value engines were different. So it was it was just it was just raw familiarity, lear- learning what the the uncommon cube was about, that sort of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Ben, I'm seeing a, a trend here. When we had Andrew Cuneo on, we were talking about like, well, how do you learn like a new limited format? He was like, I don't look at the spoilers. I just draft it. <laughs> it seems like seems like good, strong, limited players are like, yeah, whatever. I, I trust my instincts where I'm like, I got to pour over the whole card spoiler. I like always try and look at what whatever 20, 30 cards they're swapping out for Vintage Cube just to see like what the changes are. But it's just a more hands-on way of reading the spoiler, right? You're going to see all the cards if you if you do enough drafts. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. All right, we've also got a, a round table here that we'd like to get into just to sort of like see what you think about some of these cube cards. So, Caleb, would you like to take a seat at the round table and go through this pack one, pick one? Absolutely. All right, so cards you see in the pack here. First up is Findhorned Elves, single green for the 1-1, tapped add green to your mana pool. What do you think about him? Oh, elves are good. I don't know... If I'm super keen on pack one, pick oneing a random mana dork, that's not like a like a core set of like a core piece of an archetype, like a like a skull clamp or a Rafelos or a channel might get me into green real soon. I don't know if a Fintorn Elves is going to do that. It's nice when people are passing you Fintorn Elves. I don't know if you want to jump on one super early though. Okay. Next up, you've got Avalanche Riders, three and a red for the two-two haste with Echo of three and a red. So at the beginning of your upkeep, if this came under your control, since the beginning of your last upkeep, you have to sacrifice it unless you pay its Echo cost. And when it comes into play, destroy target land. Yeah, that card sucks. <laughs> that, that makes me so sad. That's one of my pet cards. <laughs> I know that it's bad, but I love I love trying to make that card good. All right. Next up, we've got Necrotal. Two black black for the 2-1 first strike. When it enters the battlefield, destroy target non-artifact, non-black creature. That creature can't be regenerated. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's okay. It's uh, something they can throw in the sideboard a decent amount or main deck it if you're like playing like a recurring nightmare strat or something like that. Also, like not a really early pick. Yeah, I feel like these sort of like enter the battlefield, kill a creature cards in black, like Bone Shredder and now Lurking Chupacabra or Shriek Maw, like they're all pretty interchangeable. And especially in Vintage Cube, you don't want a ton of them, right? Like people are often playing these like big haymakers or just planeswalkers or storming off on you that like when you have this, these like terror effects attached to small creatures, it's not really what you want to be doing a lot of the time. That's a good point. Yeah, Necrotal, very replaceable. Speaking of storming off, next up we've got Lotus Petal, zero mana for the artifact, tap, sacrifice, Lotus Petal, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. I feel like this made Storm like a decent amount better. Yeah, this is a new addition, right? This hasn't been in before, I don't think. Anyone? Corroborate? No? Okay, never mind. Bueller? Bueller? (laughs) (laughs) Caleb doesn't know. I was looking for Ben's Ben's support. I'm pretty sure this is new, yeah. Have you Lotus Petaled this uh, this cube? I have. I usually play Lotus Petal in like my Artifact Matters type decks, like uh, with Duretti and uh, Goblin Welder and uh, Academy, and it's mm. it's good there. I mean, just more free artifacts when you're playing with Academy is sweet. And then uh, you guys already mentioned Storm, so it's fine there. 
I don't think I've pack one, pick one Lotus Petal, but it's not like the most egregious pick. Next up, we've got Is It Signet? Two mana for the artifact and has one tap, add blue red to your mana pool. Yeah. Taking early, an early Signet is usually fine. It's a way to like stay, stay sort of open. Like even if you end up not in those colors, you can still run the Signet as acceleration. And then uh, it usually ends up being some good fixing. Blue Signets are nice because they tap for like Tinker and the like. The blue-red one is probably the best one for the Artifact Matters deck because then you're also playing like Duretti and Welder such. Anyway. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I like of my mind, like, yeah, blue signets are the best, but not more specifically that blue-red is probably the best one for Artifact Matters is a good point. Yeah, because your blue, your Artifact Matters decks are generally blue-red, right? Yeah, there's uh, there's the blue-black Tez, but uh, I haven't been doing that as much in this cube. All right, next up, we've got Thrag Tusk. Four and a green for the 5-3 beast. When it enters the battlefield, you gain five life. And when it leaves the battlefield, create a 3-3 green beast creature token. That's another one that's like kind of an awkward pack one, pick one. Um, that's the sort of card you would like to get a little, little bit later. But it's really nice when you're playing your green ramp whatever deck to have a source of life gain so you can beat the red decks. And that's actually how you get your good matchup is like play Primal Command, gain seven life, go get Thrag Tusk, play Thrag Tusk. Your opponent's like staring at their Goblin Guide, like wondering what went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that red deck, next up we've got Sulfuric Vortex, one red red for the enchantment. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, Sulfuric Vortex deals two damage to that player. If a player would gain life, that player gains no life instead. Yeah, solid card, solid pack one, pick one. Where are you at on playing mono red? Are you a fun police person or an anti-fun police person? It's fine. My mono red decks in this cube that have been winning have had a lot of fast mana and they've just been like playing a dragon as soon as possible. So it is what it is. I don't know. <laughs> Next up, we've got Nykthos Shrine to Nyx, legendary land, tap to add a generic mana to your mana pool or two tap, choose a color, add to your mana pool an amount of mana of that color equal to your devotion to that color. I uh, I actually underdraft this card. I I hate it. I hate having Coldest Mana when I like need my my ramp strategy to work. I hate that it like doesn't pr- produce green for Rafelos or Channel in the the early turns. So so I very admittedly underdraft it. But even if I was drafting it appropriately, I still wouldn't be pack one pick oneing it. That's a that's something that you want to get late once you also once you already have a deck that can abuse it, right? Yeah, once you already know you're a mono color deck. But I'm I'm with you that like the decks. I mean, I think of mono green and maybe like mono white. But a lot of those decks like this can't cast for fellows on turn two and a lot of cards in like white are white white or like you've got spectral procession or other like triple white or like heavy color requirements so this often i feel like is awkward at curving you out as a a spot in your whatever 16 lands i'm not i'm not crazy about this card me either next up we've got leyline of sanctity two white white for the enchantment if it's in your opening hand you may begin with a game with it on the battlefield and the text is you have hexproof I've only drafted, uh, well, I've drafted this card like three or four times. Usually it ends up in my sideboard for like an anti-storm or anti-burn type deal. Uh, I had, I mean decked it once. Last night I did a step, uh, a stipulation draft where, where someone donates to make you like draft in a certain way. I did a stipulation draft where I had to have like six or seven plus artifacts in my, in my main, or enchantments, I'm sorry, in my main deck. And I was like, all right, Leyline, you're good again here. <laughs> oh, I watched that deck. So that was the blue white deck you were playing, right? Oh yeah. That deck was horrendous. And Leyline <laughs> was part of the horrendousness. It was a very enchanting deck though. That's to be fair. Oh God. <laughs> I think the inclusion of Leyline of Sanctity is bad in cube. Like I, I feel, it feels really bad to me that you put, like a lot of pieces in a cube for an archetype of storm 
and then you put a single card that hoses that archetype, that doesn't feel very good. Oh, that's fine. Play repeal. Play an empty the warrens. Have some have some depth to your storm strategy. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Next up, speaking of storm, <laughs> we keep having these smooth segues here. Yogmas will two and a black for the sorcery until end of turn. You may play cards from your graveyard. If a card would be put into your graveyard from anywhere this turn, exile that card instead. Yogg's Will is a powerful card. The issue with it is that it really only fits into Storm. And I usually don't pick it super early. I'm usually looking for to make sure that Storm is open before I like dip into it. So so cards like pretty, <laughs> I pretty pretty much just if I get like a pack one and pick one Black Lotus, that's pretty much the only time that I'm like valuing Yogg's Will super highly early on. Interesting. See, I think of Yogmoth's Will as like Yogmoth's Will and Lion's Eye Diamond as like the two cards. I mean, I guess Lotus, of course, but like those are the two cards that you're gonna just like see more often because you also get past them that are like, those are the things that make the storm deck tick. Obviously storm cards, but like there are whatever, four of them in the in the cube and there's only one Yogwell, but Yogwell feels like super important to, to cube strategies. It is, but like you also don't want to be fighting someone for storm either. Right, so if I was yeah. looking at this pack and like thinking about storming, I might just like take the lotus petal, and then if the Yogg's will comes back, then yeah, sure, I'm storm. And if it doesn't come back, then I'm doing something else with my lotus petal. Interesting. I would think about that in the reverse. That's smart, but you just feel like lotus petal is going to fit in way more decks than Yogg will. Yeah, if someone else is for- forcing storm, and they're just like, oh, I got my tendrils or whatever, whatever it is that they that they're picking way too early. Um, <laughs> you don't want to fight with that person because you both just end up with like one two decks. Interesting. Next up, we've got Teferi, Hero of Dominaria. This is the new Teferi. Three blue-white for the four loyalty Planeswalker. Plus one, draw a card at the beginning of the next end step. Untap two lands. Minus three, put target non-land permanent into its owner's library third from the top. And minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever you draw a card, exile target permanent, and opponent controls. That's the first time I've ever read that ultimate text. Good lord. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's actually been played a lot in Standard. I, we don't do that here. <laughs> there's a there's a blue-white control deck in Standard where the win condition is embleming to fairy and then uh, flashing back the uh, the three and a blue, uh, put a put a permanent or spell on top of its owner's library, and then you can pay four blue blue and like flash it oh, back. Oh, commit to memory. Is a draw seven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not actually flashback or whatever. But what? anyway, so you you emblem and then you like place play your draw spells and you just exile all your opponent's permanents. And then when they have nothing, the way that you stop from decking is just down ticking to fairy on itself. So. <laughs> Sweet. So your opponent plays a land and then you just draw your card for the turn and exile the land so they can never play anything. And you just sit there and down tick on your own Teferis until they deck. Does Teferi's uh, minus stop you from timing out on Magic Online? No, no, <laughs> no. On Magic Online, people put a um, people put an approach into their decks or, or they play like oh, a few okay. gear hulks or something so they can actually win on time. <laughs> That's so funny that you have to make the deck different on magic right, online and yeah. paper to stop from dying to your clock a friend of mine uh was playing against uh against someone on moto who had not done that who had like not added another win con and they were timing uh, out and the the control player was raging at them for not conceding and they were just like <laughs> i don't know man i probably would have put a win condition in my deck <laughs> <laughs> that's funny have you played with uh teferi in cube yet oh yeah oh yeah teferi's great um it's great in standard it's great in modern it's great in cube Draft it, play it, love it. All right, next up, we've got JVP, Jason's Prodigy. One and a blue for the O2. Tap, draw a card, discard a card. If there are five or more cards in your graveyard, exile JVP, then return him to the battlefield, transformed. 
under owner's control into some sort of Jane's Jace Planeswalker that what pluses one to give target creature minus two minus oh until your next turn minus three to flashback an instant or sorcery and I have no idea what the ultimate is. So whenever you cast a spell mill five you get an emblem. Okay. Whenever you cast a spell mill five I think whatever it, it's just a looter. I mean I mean flipping into a Planeswalker is good but it's it's a two mana looter which is also great isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, the card's sweet. It uh, one, one of the cool things about Jace Vrin's Prodigy is that it's also, like, one of the key cards of the reanimator strategy, so it's going to fit into, like, a wide range of decks, but it's also going to be, like, really, really good in some decks by enabling uh, graveyard strats. So, yeah, you can pick it pretty highly if you want it. How is reanimator in Vintage Cube? I always feel like it's just a little... It's, like, in terms of, like, whatever, quote-unquote broken decks, it's just not quite broken enough for the other sorts of things that you can do. Uh, the main benefit to Reanimator as a strategy is that you've got like a really compact win condition. So your Storm opponent has to dedicate their entire deck to uh, to playing Storm or their deck doesn't work. With Reanimator, you just need uh, an Entomb and a Reanimation effect or something. You know, you're, you're just playing two cards. So you can like play a few more tutors, play a few more discard spells, play a few more counter spells, the like. There's a few different ways to make Reanimator work. So you've been liking it in this iteration of Vintage Cube? No, I hate it. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. So you're just trying to bait people into playing it? Well, every time, I don't know, every time I play it, I'm like, sweet, I got my Grizzlebrand. My opponent's just like, oh, I've, I'm the person with the Caracas or whatever, you know. It's, <laughs> it's been a rough time. It's been a rough time. Brutal. Next up, we've got another Jace Planeswalker. This is Jace Architect of Thought. Two blue blue for the four loyalty Planeswalker. Plus one until your next turn. Whenever a creature an opponent controls attacks, it gets minus one, minus O until end of turn. Minus two to mini factor fiction. You reveal the top three cards of your library and opponent separates them into two piles. And you pick a pile to put into your hand or the other on the bottom of your library in any order. And minus eight for each player. Search that player's library for a non-land card and exile it. Then that player shuffles his or her library. You may cast one of those cards without paying its mana cost. Yeah, card's sweet. Draw some cards, why not? I, 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 would, I don't think I would first pick it over Friends Prodigy or Teferi, but uh, it's a good one. Next, we've got another Planeswalker, Gideon Jura. Three white-white for the Planeswalker, plus two. During target opponent's next turn, creatures that player controls must attack Gideon Jura if able. Minus two, destroy target tapped creature, and zero becomes a 6-6 six, six human soldier that's indestructible. No, not indestructible. Oh, really? I thought that was indestructible. Yeah, you, you can Doomblade that one. Hot dog. Man. <laughs> They, they didn't fix that till later. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, and he's got six six loyalty. Wow. Gideon's solid. It's uh, real easy to underrate it in this cube, but it's a super solid card. I, I wouldn't pick it this early. And last, we've got the big mama herself, Emrakul, the Eons Torn, 15 mana for the 15-15 Eldrazi. Can't be countered when you cast her. Take an extra turn after this one. Flying, protection from colored spells, Annihilator 6, and when she's put into a graveyard from anywhere, shuffle your graveyard into your library. Oh, mama. I think I like this card out of, uh, out of this pack. If I was, uh, if I was drafting, uh, I'd be like slamming the Emrakul. Emrakul is just like the best payoff for a lot of strategies. It's the best card to put to cast off of a channel. It's the best card to sneak attack in. It's the best card to show and tell in. This is gonna, it's just going to make like a lot of strategies much, much better just by having it in your deck. It's a, it's a key, it's an irreplaceable key piece. There's other Eldrazi's. There's ones that annihilate for four. Four is not as good as six. 
It's like they're just not as good. <laughs> and so my, my thoughts have been when I've tried to do those Eldrazi strategies, I keep feeling like I have to invest what you were sort of talking about earlier versus control decks. Like I'm investing multiple cards, resources into that sneak attack or that channel. And oftentimes, you know, it can get answered with a counter spell or a path to exile or whatever. Maybe not Emrakul in that case, but I feel like those strategies are pretty easily disruptable by like a thought seize or something like that. Have you experienced that at all? Or do you think they're like one of the best decks in the format? I mean, kind of. Have you ever channeled into an Emrakul? I have. It's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's real good. Kill is just on that, like, two-card combo, insta-win, life. Oh, yeah. Dead you. Well, the, the thing the thing about those strats, I mean, you need to find a way to win somehow, right? So even even if you're a controlling deck with a bunch of counters, your win condition can still be sneak attack Emrakul. It's not like you're investing a lot of slots into that. And then you've also got this busted strategy that can uh, erase your opponent's busted strategy if you don't draw your, your disruption. So it is it is versatile. You don't have to be like a glass cannon type uh, combo deck. And then you can have like backup win, win cons if you are more all in and the like. So yeah, I'm certainly not trying to tell people not to take Emrakul. That's something you should be doing. So, and that feels different than whatever we were talking about in tomb versus plus like a reanimation spell as like a two card ish combo to you in terms of, I mean, you still get kind of wrecked facing down a Caracas when you channel Emrakul, but like those feel more resilient to you or those feel like you don't have to, you can still have a deck that does stuff beyond that. Is that sort of how you feel? Like what's the difference between channel Emrakul versus reanimate in tomb? Well, I wasn't trying to say the reanimator was bad just that I was having a rough time winning with it. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry if that was, that was unclear or whatever. Other people have been certainly beating me with reanimator. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but no, Emrakul's got like a like I said, it's, it's a, like a key card for like a wide swath of very like good broken sweet archetypes, and it's exciting to me. So I'm going to draft it. And that feels like more of a pull. Like if we replace Emrakul with Ulamog in this pack, are you still like, yeah, that's pretty sweet. I'll take that. The that's the ten mana exile two Eldrazi, right? Yeah, that one, or I guess the ele- the eleven mana one exile one. The the ten mana one, I'm a little bit more excited about because you can. Um, it's a little bit more castable in like your ramp strats, and sometimes you can just end up being ramp deck. You can just like stumble backwards into being ramp deck in a format where the people are passing like worn power stones and and uh, there's like academies floating around. Sometimes you're you're just like your typical blue pile of card draw decks turn into ramp decks at a certain point and like paying 10 mana is sweet. At that point, I'm a little closer to taking like the Teferi or the Izzet Signet, but I don't think taking the 10 mana Eldrazi is bad either. The 10 mana one also has the upside of being able to be reanimated, which is nice. Yeah, that's solid. But if I was going for reanimation, I would take the Vrind's Prodigy for sure. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, time to move into some patron questions. Uh, you already grabbed Stunlock's question from earlier. So up next, we've got DC Sports 8. Uh, he wants to know what cards are worth taking risks on building around and what cards do you look for to support them, such as Channel or Smokestack? Oh, man. DC Sports 8. He's a he's a regular, oh, regular on the stream. He's just like in every Twitch chat all the time. Actual every Twitch chat. Yeah. That man cannot get enough Magic the Gathering. It's great. Um, let's see, taking risks on building around and what cards do you look for to support them? Yeah, I mean, channel channel is is uh, definitely one of those cards that's like worth taking a risk. Like you take it and you hope to find something worth channel into. You hope your mana base can like play it because once you once you do it, like your opponent taps out for a signet on turn two, even if they're playing a deck with a critical mass of counters, maybe they just like play a signet on turn two and then you channel and dead them. 
So it's a, it's definitely a, a very um, high reward sort of uh, sort of card for sure. And then uh, Smokestack is well, it's a card that like breaks parity by itself because the opponent is sacrificing permanence. But I've had a, I've had, I've actually had some luck with it in this cube in workshop decks. I don't know. It's not a card that I usually value very highly. But uh, I've I've been playing more workshop decks than usual, and it's been definitely performing for me. What do you feel like? It, just because workshop plus you get to have smokestack out early, and then also dumping your hand with fast mana. Otherwise, yeah, like, do you feel like those exactly. decks have like critical masses of artifacts? Just the, just the fact that you're playing the smokestack like way earlier than your opponent can like reasonably deal with it mm-hmm. is the uh, is the nice thing. Just the, I mean, just, I mean, it's really just that workshops is adding like another Black Lotus into your, into your deck. Yeah. Smokestack is definitely a pet card of mine in cube and probably shouldn't be, but I really like pairing that with like, you know, a Bitter Blossom or other token generators just to brown opponents. Ophiomancer, one of my favorite cards that Ben hates. Oh, God, I hate that card so much. <laughs> Ophiomancer is great. Yeah. I've, uh, no. I've been, I've been pairing it with like that. Skull Clamp and stuff. Exactly. It's a, little, it's a little bit worse in Vintage Cube than it is in like Legacy Cube, where just having a 1 1 Death Touch is great. Right. But uh, it's still good. It's still a great card. Yeah. Don't encourage him, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Biz, Biz, Biz asks, What are you looking for at Pack One Pick One? And how do you decide what direction to go in? So you've t- sort of touched on this a little bit in terms of like, what do you feel like drafting? But are, are there other considerations you have when you're looking at pack one, pick one in terms of like high risk, high reward picks or staying open, that sort of thing? Yeah, cards that are key pieces for like an individual strategy and cards that are like like really important, I think are, are more reasonable to take early. So like there's only one in tomb. So if you're someone that likes to draft reanimator and you see an Entomb in your opening pack and everything's like pretty even, uh, then it's more important to take the Entomb than like a reanimation effect. So like if there's like an Animate Dead and an Entomb right next to each other, well, you're going to lean that way. And then taking cards that fit into multiple different archetypes. I was talking about Emrakul. Emrakul's like not going to fit your White Weenie deck or your Mono Red deck or whatever, but it's going to fit so many other different uh, sorts of archetypes that, and it's going to open up some uh, enough different like potentials for the for the rest of the draft that I think it's worth taking early. And do you feel like in cube that you can take those chances just because like you're never going to be short playable? So you can just like take Emrakul and then if you don't end up finding a way to maximize her or if a different kind of deck is open, it's not that detrimental. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's a better answer than the one I gave. It's <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm here for. Next question comes from Draftomatic. They say, it feels like the current Vintage Cube needs more answers to Planeswalkers. Do you agree? And what are your general thoughts about Planeswalkers in Cube? I disagree. I think there's a solid number of answers here. We got like Dreadbore, they added Vraska's Contempt, and you can always just like play a creature. It might be that I, <laughs> that I lean more towards playing Haste creatures. So like, I really like Zealous Conscripts. I really like um, like Thundermaw and stuff. So my opponent's walkers are... Are, are answered a little bit easier than some people's maybe. But uh, I think part of the frustration from biz, biz, biz might be is, is like I was talking a little bit about, about the fast mana. And then after you've developed your fast mana, you play your win condition before the opponent can play theirs before they can get going. So if your, your opponent is like dumping a, a planeswalker really quickly, like on turn two or three, bef- like basically before you have a chance to deal with it, then it's going to seem a little overwhelming but they could probably be playing anything at that point and and just like deading you brazen dog wants to know and this is probably one of the best features of your your stream what are some of your favorite stipulation drafts for cube uh i prefer stipulation drafts that have a little bit of uh have a little bit of freedom to them so the uh 
So like if someone says uh, force one monocolor or like take a pack one, pick one, and then build your entire deck around it, whether it's open or not, like stuff like that. Something that gives the streamer some agency, because if you're if you're doing something where there's only like one pick that, fit, that fulfills the step per pack, uh, something like uh, take the pick that has the most words in the title oh, or whatever, yeah. or, or just like something that's basically goof picking every single pack or whatnot, then the streamer isn't actually drafting. They're just like figuring out what the one legal pick is and you're playing, you're basically playing something that's not magic. And I'm I'm not very interested in that. Yeah, that makes sense. I, one of my favorite, especially for Cube, but we, we didn't even start doing this for Rivals of Ixalan, was uh, is the old <laughs> Cut 5 challenge, the can't play any basic lands. I really like that one. Sure. A slight alteration to that is like you can only play like like somewhere between one and three basic lands. You end up with like a slightly better deck, a little bit more reasonable. You still have to like invest highly into your mana base, but uh, but it's a little bit easier to, to 3-0. You end up with fewer like 15 land control decks, for example. That makes sense. Next, Draftomatic has another question. They say, I find that Caleb is a master in navigating when he should draft something busted and when he should draft something that's value, grindy, interference-based. What dictates the kind of decks you're going to draft? A lot of that is just reading signals and figuring out what's open. So there's there's only so many premium counterspells. So if you see one pretty early on, you can like grab it and uh, and try and figure, it, figure out a way to win with it. So piggybacking off that, I hear a lot of people say at times that like you just can't read signals in Vintage Cube. Do you find that that's true or not? Uh, well, you can you can read signals, but they're they're more archetype based than than color. So people are used to reading color signals, but uh, but it's not it's not quite the same thing in 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 Cube in Cube in general. It's definitely harder. They're definitely like weaker signals, but they're there. Is there any any examples you can give us, like things that you're looking for? Like if you start out in, I don't know, let's say let's say you you pack one, pick one that Emrakul. What sorts of things like would lead you to feel like an Emrakul style deck is going to be open, or what things would happen in that first pack that would lead you to think I probably should be moving off of this? Well, usually I try to position myself in colors that can abuse the Emrakul. So like green would be nice for channel, blue would be nice for show and tell, red would be nice for sneak attack. Uh, and if like the busted cards in those colors aren't going around, like if I'm just getting like a bunch of blue card draw without the show and tell, without the without the payoff card, then I might work, end up working myself into into a sort of fair deck if, I, if I'm getting like the, um, the late disruption. That makes sense. Like if I'm getting like a like a twelfth pick Thoughtseize, or for example, yeah, and the the cards that I'm looking for aren't going around, then maybe I'm just like, okay, well now I'm going to be a blue black control deck, and this Emrakul is going to rot in my sideboard, and that's okay. I think one of the other things when I watch you cube, or you know, like I you're sort of the person that got me started on cube, like I especially playing combo decks. Like I remember watching your older videos on CFB, and that like sort of got me the courage to try my my first storm deck because I saw how sweet sweet it was when you were playing it on those cfb videos i feel like you excel at drafting decks that aren't blue in cube can you talk about that at all like i think you're one of the best in that area no i have i have i have no idea how to answer that well it sounds like he values the like red hasty creatures a lot and that sounds like a pretty big difference because i often think like i mean thunder my Hulk kite and zealous conscripts maybe not so much but like that a lot of those cards i'm like well if i'm not mono red i shouldn't be playing them but it sounds like you have a much like wider opinion of a lot of those powerful red cards. Oh yeah the the five drop uh, the five drop white creatures are sweet too. Just angels and dragons get them get them. But like, aren't you? I don't know. I, I always feel like in cube, like I'm gonna get the powerful stuff. Like the like I feel like the powerful five and six and whatever expensive cards are 
somewhat replaceable, but do you sort of have a different feeling about that? Like I always feel like I can get a five drop planeswalker, I can get a five drop dragon or angel or whatever. Well how many how many dragons or angels do you want to put in your deck? I mean Do you just want one? I maybe. Maybe I just I want, want more than one. You want more than one? Oh, yeah. Maybe that's what I'm doing oh, wrong. Yeah. Like, Baneslayer Angel is not a card that I like very much in cube. Is that a card that you're like, all right, I'm into that? Oh, absolutely. The Baneslayer Angel is going to, like, beat your red opponent by itself. It's probably just going to beat your green opponent, so long as they don't, like, crater hoof you the turn you tap out for it. Yeah, those cards are better than they look. If Caleb hadn't said the thing about Twitch chat talking about fair decks, I would say right now. <laughs> but Baneslayer Angel is so fair. <laughs> that card just until seems... you're sitting there with like a Corsair of Crufix and like some like crappy like Garrix or whatever, and just like staring at this five five life linker that you can't attack into. And I don't know. Yeah, that's sort of what I was trying to ask. I always see you winning with cards that other people say like aren't good in Vintage Cube. Well, you don't always get Channel Emerald, right? You don't always get the sneak attack with the Eldrazi's or whatever. Sometimes you just gotta, you know, get them with what you got. <laughs> Sometimes you got like five angels that you're trying to ramp into as quickly as possible before you like play a Geddon or something. When those drafts happen, when like maybe you don't even open the busted stuff or you do open a busted thing, but then the the support card, the powerful support cards for it aren't there and you find yourselves navigating towards a, I won't say fair deck, but that kind of deck. Are you taking lands highly at that point to sort of maximize the powerful cards you can play? Um, obviously, you're taking fast mana because you've talked about that being like what is part of the engine of Vintage Cube is, is fast mana. But then how do you – what is that, that that pick order navigation? You're just taking like value two for ones? I, I, I actually value fixing a little bit less. I would like to like get like a clear like direction for the deck before I start taking fixing because who knows if I'm even going to be in those colors at a certain point. Hmm. sometimes taking fixing can open up potentials so like if you're playing storm uh if you're drafting storm if you if you're leaning towards storm back one and you see like a random drop you can be like okay well if i take this then that'll allow me to grab like a fast one later or something something along those lines but if the the pick itself is just like a a speculative like maybe i might play these colors if you don't have like a reason behind why you would want to play those colors if you're not actually opening up a, a key facet for your deck then then i care much less the, a lot of the artifacts do your fixing for you. You know, you're playing all these signets. Once you figure out what's up, we'll probably just be fine. All right, next question. Spicy Manipulator wants to know, how do you balance drafting to your preferences and what are those preferences versus staying open? I mean, in the, the first few picks, like I like I, I talked a little bit about how uh, it's fine to just take cards that, that like appeal to you, cards that you want to build around, cards that excite you. And then if if that's uh that's not working out, you just switch, right? Just like any other limited format. Don't try and drink from the dry well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a lot harder in cube, but that's an interesting point that you brought up of like a few questions ago about that like I never quite thought about well, I'm just getting a bunch of blue card draw. I'm not getting the powerful blue cards that that means like, eh, probably not blue may not be the spot for me or this like blue. I'm getting powerful blue card draw, but not like the looters. So maybe I blue black reanimate is going to be tough. That sort of thing. Right. So you like go and move into blue black control instead or, or whatnot. So you're not like throwing away all these picks that you spent on like sweet card draw spells, but you still have like a, like a functional deck. Bartle asks, the color black, other than maybe reanimation, is often uh, has an identity crisis in cube. Do you have a particular approach to drafting black decks? And then a follow-up, Ryan Sachs wants to know, what are your thoughts on Dark Confidant in cube? Okay, that's a sweet question. Black, uh, just like with any other color, I'm like looking for 
some like key powerful cards right from the get-go so like liliana of the veil is a card that can just win games <laughs> just game game blouses game lilianas so like if i see one of those early i'm like pretty eager to move into black grab some him to turok action grab some thought seizes grab some duress that sort of thing and make sure you have enough re- removal and threats and uh and, and and go with it yeah cards like cards like bitter blossom can also do that a little bit less in vintage cube but bitter blossom's still good and you can still turn one of bitter blossom and beat some decks that way things like that yeah so i guess that's my my approach <laughs> so more more like hand disruption those those creatures i think ben and i really like like the mesmeric fiends and the oh gosh what's the tide hollow scholar, tide scholar of the world and the was it brain maggot is that the other one? Oh yeah yeah those cards are quality filler those, those cards are, are quality filler. great i mean those are gonna be pretty oppressive especially when a lot of people's decks hinge on like two card combos if you're like all right let's take your sneak attack take your whatever take your ember cool like yeah they'll have a removal for it but like hand disruption i think is really powerful in vintage cube the nice thing about those uh mesmeric fiend type cards too is that they can also like carry equipment really well Mm -hmm. yeah they're nice and uh what do you think about uh, ryan's question about dark confidant dark confidant is a card that i don't play very often it's you can it can it can fit like a like talking about the, like the black disruptive decks if your curves dark confident is a card that's like going to be good enough if your curve supports it you can certainly play it with some number of fives and sixes it's all about the the average converted mana cost in your deck and then if you're playing with sensei's dividend top you can you can obviously like select for what card you're revealing and so that's really nice over i mean overall i like it but it's got to be in in the right deck it's kind of like a like i was earlier i was talking about Deathrite Shaman and Brainstorm and about how like if you draft with those cards, then you probably also need a critical mass of of fetch lands that's like hard difficult to get or whatnot. Dark Confidence like really good in the right place, just like those cards are really good in the right place, but it, it can be difficult to to be in the right place in cube. So here's the question. Are you ever playing Dark Confidant and Emrakul in the same deck? Oh sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> are you really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? I don't why know. Are you live in fear Losing your whole 15 life, life seems gonna... bad. <laughs> Yeah, man, I better I better not cross the street. Might get hit by a bus. Come on, man. Oh, God, that's so true, man. This just quickly turned into some good life advice for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, DC Sports 8 wants to know when to play Chrome Mox and Mox Diamond. What is the deck consideration for including those cards? Well, Chrome Mox, you just replace a land, and it's sweet. Um, it's pretty rare that I don't play Chrome Mox. That's the sort of card that I might actually like even overplay a little bit, like put it in my my uh my my aggro red decks that have like a pile of one drops. Sometimes I'll like have a Chrome Mox in there that doesn't actually belong, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I I really like that card. But really what you're looking to do is play um your four or five drop a turn sooner or uh, uh so you can dead the opponent. Like killing your opponent is a really good form of card advantage. So even though you're throwing away a card on Chrome Mox, if you're playing like a Thunder Mile Hellkite and then they like die quicker than they think they're going to then that's that's good that's sweet historically the type of card you're looking to play off of a chrome mox is something that replaces itself so like bitter blossom is going to replace that value dark confidence going to replace that value a planeswalker is probably going to replace that value and going to be worth powering out an extra turn, uh, turn early mox diamond's a little trickier to play with mox diamond i really really like index with draw sevens because those decks are just going to always have an excess of lands even if they're only playing like 15 lands or something when you play your draw seven you're going to have extra lands and you're not going to have time to make all your land drops and uh and mox diamond's just going to be there in a more typical deck that like doesn't have draw sevens, I think you would play Mox Diamond more for like YOLO desperation fixing or uh artifact synergies. And at that point, I mean you, you play Mox Diamond unlike Chrome Mox, because Chrome Mox excels a spell. 
Mox Diamond, you have to discard a land to it, so you can't play it in a land slot. You have to play it in a spell slot, and uh, I, I I probably overvalue that aspect of it. And sometimes I play a few too many lands in my Mox Diamond decks because I'm worried about not having a land to discard. That makes a lot of sense. Do you uh, think about those cards with like draw sevens? Uh, I'm gonna like, yeah. recoup that value pretty fast. That sort of thing. Absolutely. <laughs> Mox Mox Wheel of Fortune is just like the most brutal opener. Oh my god, it's so good! It's a lot of fun. They're also really good with balance, both of those cards, because you're not just like spitting out this fast artifact mana that you're not sacrificing to balance. Both of them are also pitch cards. So your opponent's probably getting just like straight up mind twisted if you're if you're dumping these cards into an early balance. Now you're speaking our language. That's right. <laughs> I love balance. Yeah, I think ba- balance is probably both Ben and my pet card, number one pet card for the cube. That card just always goes criminally late. It's always just like, no matter what, third week in Vintage Cube, it's going like, Pack three, pick six. No one has any idea what's going on with that card. I agree. People who pass that should be put in jail 100%. Thank you. Okay, great. Now, So now we've got two of us plus Caleb. We're going to start hunting people down. It is a it is a build around though. So like if your deck doesn't have much artifact acceleration, then it's not going to be as good because your opponent's like dumping their hand. They've got all the artifacts and you're sitting there with like a, a full group of cards and their their hand is empty and you've got a bunch of land drops in play and they don't have any like it starts to look starts to look not great. Even even in your blue white control decks though, it can still be played as like a sweeper against the aggro decks. And and then even then when you're like playing it and discarding a few cards because they dumped their hand faster than you, even even then just like the fact that you nuked their board is worth it. No, balance is always good. It's never bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> Biz 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 also has another question. Uh, she wants to know if uh, you've noticed a change in terms of cards getting better or worse with that new Planeswalker redirection rule. I would just have to imagine it's just worse. <laughs> Like there are times when I'm like, I just want to, I want to kill this planeswalker, but I can't anymore. Yeah, some cards for sure. Fiery Confluence is the one my opponent played a uh, Elspeth and upticked it, and I was like, sadly looking at the Fiery Confluence in my hand. And Fiery Confluence is a messed up card. Fiery Confluence is not something that like really needed the the ability to one shot planeswalkers. It's already like killing your opponents and like getting three for ones off their board states enough that like maybe <laughs> maybe like a slight nerf in power level is like actually a good thing for that card. But I was definitely sad. And then I just like played it, swept the board and killed the, the, the Elspeth anyway. And I was like, oh, OK, well, this is fine. I'm fine, too, I suppose. <laughs> like, it was still a little fine, fine thing. I don't know. Yeah. But that was that was the, the main thing that I noticed. The nerfing of Fiery Confluence, which I guess is OK. Yeah. Is there anything uh, anything super sweet you're still trying to do in cube? Or maybe what's the sweetest thing you've done so far this cube season? Anything come to, come to mind? This cube season. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I had a I had a, I had kind of a cool game where I channeled into the uh the three green green tutor uh, primal command. I channeled into primal command and so I ended up with more life than my starting life total. And then that tutored for Blightsteel Colossus. And I was doing this off of a Black Lotus on turn two. So that tutored for Blightsteel Colossus, and I uh and I played the Blightsteel Colossus, and then I still had enough life left over to mindslaver my opponent. What? <laughs> so I got so I got to take their turn when I had a blight steel in play and they were like tapped out from their their turn one whatever and uh and it was it was pretty juicy. It was pretty good. It was a little bit more satisfying than just like putting a lightning greaves on the blight steel. Like the actual ten mana time walk. That's disgusting. That's so gross. I think that qualifies. Yeah, I think so too. I remember when uh when Owen Turtenwald was streaming cube, I think it was like two years ago. He was saying channel was his pack one pick one out of the cube. He was taking that over power. Oh yeah. I don't do that, but it's like 
like cards like a channel mind twist and mana drain could all be like honorary power yeah they're all better than time twister or whatever it is where are you at uh pack one pick one out of the cube are you a soul ring kind of guy yeah i soul ring unless i like really feel like drafting storm then i can take black lotus it's it's like like I, i've been talking about how like cube is like kind of how you feel like what do you feel like drafting one of my one of my favorite archetypes in cube is the the time walk like recur my time walk with a bunch of effects that like take advantage of extra turns so like eternal witness uh type deal like like i i would probably take time walk over soul ring and black lotus if i was really in the mood to, to draft that deck because it's a lot of fun to just take all the turns and watch your opponent be sad <laughs> I mean, this this episode did the trick. I've been feeling pretty down on, on Cube, but I kind of really want to go draft it right now. Oh, yeah. Cube's sweet. Yeah. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to to share your, your wisdom and your, your sweet brews. Draft some more Baneslayer Angels and some more Dragons, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's that's true for every Cube. Yeah. So if people are liking your content on the episode, where can they find you at? Uh, Twitch.tv slash uh, CalebDMTG is where I'm at. I think my Twitter is at CalebDMTG, so that's pretty easy too. And they're linked to each other and whatnot. Sweet. Well, the cube season is coming to a close. M19 full spoiler just dropped. And so that means next week we're going to have our M19 crash course episode available for you to get you all the stats to take down your FNM or your pre release for the weekend. Our Dominaria treasure hunt has been completed. We've got our 15-hour stream, Lords of Limited 15-hour stream, locked for July 6th. So come check us out. And if you've still got any screenshots for the treasure hunt that you want to get submitted, please keep sending those in. We've got about another week or so here to go before we wrap that up. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Be sure to give it a listen. People can find us on Twitch.tv, Lord Tupperware for myself, Twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome for Ben. We're on Twitter under those same handles as well. And you can also at the podcast at Lords of Limited. I just wanted to quickly get in. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. You guys are great. Oh, yeah, um, dude. It's a sweet podcast. You're, you're both like clearly very good at Limited. Put in the time, put in the thought. It's good. It's good content. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks very much for coming on. This was awesome to get a chance to talk to you about Cube. If anybody's got feedback about the show or any questions, you can shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Caleb for coming on the show, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.